Today on Through the Bible, we continue our tour of Nehemiah around the walls of Jerusalem, beginning at gate number 8, also known as the Watergate. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for another meaningful study in God's Word. Our teacher, of course, is Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and we'll start in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28 soon. But first, let's take a minute to catch up with our fellow listeners in the Middle East and North Africa. Lana, a listener of our Arabic broadcast, can't tell us where she lives, and that's for her safety, but she did send this update. I really can't explain how I felt when I listened to your message. I was amused that your words hit the target. I'm in so much pain and going through a tough time. It is not only because of the unrest in my country, but also on a personal level. I've been depressed and frustrated lately. The biblical words and your prayers came in time to help me regain my faith that the Lord is near and that he will never forsake me because I'm his own. Please continue to pray for me. And then here's a letter. This is from a sister who listens to our Persian program in Iran. I have listened to your program since 2013. My husband and I lead a house church, and we regularly have about 28 who attend. We have a lot of problems and pressure from the government and radical Muslims. Recently, about three other churches we know of were under police attack, and their leaders have been arrested and now are in jail. Please pray for their freedom and that the Lord's hand of protection will be upon us. And then our last letter comes from a listener of our Turkish broadcasts. On my 24th birthday, I found out that my father died in a traffic accident when I was a baby and my mother put me up for adoption. I didn't know that the family who raised me were not my biological kin. At first, I was shocked and desperate, but soon I began to look for a biological sister that lives in another country. When we finally connected, her Turkish was not good, but we have found ways to communicate. I was surprised to find that she is a Christian, but slowly we began to talk about everything, including Jesus. That's when she introduced me to your program. Over the last year, I haven't missed a broadcast, and I have given my life to the Lord. As I learn to rely more on Him, I feel a strange freedom in my heart. It's as if all my troubles have become easier to handle. Thank you. Well, praise God. Praise God that His Word is reaching listeners like these in the Middle East and North Africa. You know, if you'd like to join our world prayer team as we pray that God's whole Word will reach his whole world. Would you sign up today by going to ttb.org forward slash pray? You'll be glad you did. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, thank you for how clearly we can see Jesus in the book of Nehemiah. As we study today, Lord, please help us to tune our hearts to hear your spirit in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Nehemiah 3 on Through the Bible. Now, friends, we've been going around the walls of Jerusalem and going through the gates, as it were, in and out of the gates. We've been going. There were ten of those walls, and we're down now to verse 28, and this is the eighth gate that we've mentioned. Now, last time we mentioned the water gate, and the water gate speaks of the Word of God. It's a very important gate, as we saw, and it is the gate of the Word of God, as we've seen spoken of as water. The Lord Jesus, you remember, said something about that you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you, and that the word of God is a cleansing agency. And the psalmist asked the question, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How's he going to get clean? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Now, the startling thing about that water gate was this. It was not repaired. 
apparently when the other gates and walls were torn down, why this gate remained intact. And that's unusual. It did not need any repairs at all. Does that tell you anything? Well, the Word of God, friends, doesn't need any repairs made on it. There's so many people today that always want to try to prove the Bible is the Word of God. And, of course, there are those trying to prove the Bible is not the Word of God. When I began in the ministry, my ministry was that type. It was an apologetic ministry trying to prove the Bible's the Word of God. But actually, I learned that you don't need to prove it. You just give it out, and the Spirit of God takes care of it. And I've already come to the conclusion, and a definite dogmatic conclusion, that it is the Word of God. I don't think it is. I know it is. And I know what it'll do for you today. I've discovered that also. And therefore, it doesn't need my weak support. It'll take care of itself. It's like the late Dr. Bob Schuler here in downtown Los Angeles when I first went down there as pastor. He was still pastor of the Trinity Methodist Church. And Dr. Schuler said to me one day, he says, you know, you don't need to defend the Word of God. It'll take care of itself. It says it's like having a lion in your backyard in a cage. Now, he says, you don't need to get guards to protect the lion from the pussycats in the neighborhood. He said, you just open the door, and the lion will take care of himself. And he'll also take care of the pussycats, too. And the Word of God's like that today. It needs to be given out. It doesn't need any repair, not my weak repair. And all that the Lord asks me to do is to give it out. And we're tempted to give out the Word of God on that basis. Now we come today to the horse gate. And we're told in verse 28, From above the horse gate repaired the priests, everyone over against his house. Now what does the horse gate speak of? Well, the horse was that which was ridden by a warrior. I wonder if you've ever noticed that in Scripture, that in Zechariah and Revelation, these symbolic horses are powers making war. There's the riding of the red horse of war. It speaks of that. Now, the Lord Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a little donkey. Now, that was the animal that kings rode on. And he wasn't meek because he rode on that animal. We think of it as being a meek, humble little animal today, but actually... Kings rode on it in that day, especially if they were coming in peace. They only rode on a horse in time of war, and the horse is symbol of that. Now, this speaks of the soldier service of the believer today. You will recall, Paul says to us, we're seated together in the heavenless in Christ Jesus in Ephesians. That's the great truth in the first part. But when you come to the second part of Ephesians, we're told you to walk worthy of this high calling wherewith you're called. So you got your head up in the heavenlies, but your feet are down here on the ground, and you're to walk. And not only that, it's in that section in the sixth chapter of Ephesians where it says, put on the whole armor of God. There's a battle to be fought. And there's a real battle to be fought, a spiritual battle. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. 
but against these spiritual forces. And today, though there is this movement, spiritual movement, interest in the Word of God, there are a great many adversaries. Very candidly, another verse that we are using a great deal today is Paul's verse to the Corinthians when he was in Ephesus. He says, a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now, we found that on radio. We've never had such an open door as we've had on radio. And friends, I never realized that certain folk were my enemies till I began to give out the Word of God. And it's amazing that you'll be attacked today by certain men that ought to support the Word of God. They claim to be Christians. And you would think if they didn't have anything good to say, they wouldn't have anything bad to say. But they've been very critical of this radio ministry. May I say to you that there are many adversaries, and we need to put on the whole armor of God. And we're told to take the sword of the Spirit. That's the Word of God, and that's the only instrument we want to use today. But also, Paul said to a young preacher in Second Timothy 2.3, he said to him, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, that speaks of the fact that you and I today, my friend, are going to have battles to fight as believers. And if you are not in a battle, my friend, apparently you're not standing for the Lord because I tell you, the battle is waxing hot in many places. And if you take a stand for the Lord, somebody's going to try to cut you down. But we're to do that today, and many of God's believers are having a real struggle. Now we come to the next gate, and it's the east gate. And here is a gate that fills us with anticipation and excitement. And here we're told in verse 29, After them repaired Zadok, the son of Emmer, over against his house. After him repaired also Shimei, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. Now, the east gate was a very interesting gate in that day. It was the first one that was opened in the morning. This may sound like a rather naive statement and one that's self-evident, but the east gate was in the east. It was on the east side of the city. Now, the east gate in Jerusalem is sealed up today. A great many seem to think that's the gate that the Lord Jesus will come through. He may do it. I do not know, but Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says he's coming through the golden gate. Now, the golden gate is in the temple, not in the wall of the city. But that east gate has been sealed up. But it was the first gate that was opened of a morning. And why? Because that's where the sun came up. And all during the night, the watchman was on the wall, walking up and down peering out into the horizon. But early in the morning, he came around to the east gate, and he's watching the horizon. And maybe in this city, there are people that were disturbed that night. There may be an enemy out there in the darkness, and they can't sleep, and they are pacing up and down. Finally, one of them looks up and says, Watchman, what of the night? Isn't this thing ever going to end? And the watchman says, Well, still dark out there, but the morning coming. And then after a while, there's that glimmer of light in the eastern horizon. 
And he moves there and begins to watch. And then he gives the signal. He says, it's light out here. And I can see out here, and there's no enemy. (laughs) And the sun is coming up. What a sigh of relief goes up from that city. Now, friends, today, the believers ought to be gathered at the east gate because there's a glimmer of light today on the horizon. And the sun may be coming up before long. But before the sun comes up, the bright and morning star appears. Why? Why, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. A shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We that are alive shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Now, friends, that's the rapture. (laughs) And when it says caught up, One of the other synonyms for caught up is rapture. And that's a good Bible word. When anybody says today that the Bible does not teach the rapture, they're just arguing semantics. And I don't care to argue semantics. I like to argue Scripture. The Scripture says he's going to take his own out of the world before the sun comes up. So there's the little glimmer of light today. I have no dates to give. Unfortunately, there are men today that are trying to say between now and 2000 A.D. he'll come. Now, I'd like to know where they get that because they must have a private wire into heaven that I don't have access to. And I'd like to get on the line if there's a line to get on. I don't think there's a line to get on, my friend. But I do believe that our Lord is coming and that the next event is the rapture of the church. And we ought to be gathered at the east gate because, my friends, in this day, when it's so dark out there, it's nice to know there's a little glimmer of light and we have a hope. Now we come to the next gate. Well, let me read verse 30 because I think this is interesting. After him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shalemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalik, another piece. After him repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, over against his chamber. Now, that's a good exercise in pronunciation. I didn't need it, but I did it. But the reason I read that is because this man, Meshulam, whoever he was, the Lord knows him and recorded it here. All he did is just repair right over against his chamber where he lived. And friends, You may not be able to witness to the world. You may not be able to even reach your neighborhood, but you can sure reach your family. You can give the word to your family. Wonderful today to have a saved family. But your responsibility is to get the word to them. Not, as a man said to me, says, I feel I should get them saved. And I said, I disagree with you. Your business is to get the word of God to them, the gospel, then they make the decision. It's between them and the Lord then. But your responsibility is to get the word of God to them so that this fellow, he just repaired over against his chamber. And that was all God, I think, asked him to do. Now we're told here, the next gate, after him repaired Malchiah, the goldsmith's son, under the place of the Nathanims, and of the merchants over against the gate Mephcad, and to the going up of the corner. Now, what is the gate 
Mifchad. Well, Mifchad means review or registry. When a stranger came to Jerusalem, he had to have a visa. Well, not like we have it today because they didn't need that. But he was stopped at the gate for purposes of registry. It was a gate of review also. And not only when a stranger came in, but when the army had been out and fought a battle and returned, why, it was through this gate that they came. Here's where David reviewed his soldiers coming from the battle, how he loved them and how they loved him. And most of them would have gladly laid down their lives for him. And when they came under the arch, he was there to thank his battle-scarred men for their unselfish loyalty and daring. You know, we're told today that at the time of the rapture, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And some people say, oh, that's going to be wonderful. Well, it is. But did you know that there's something going to take place there that ought to make some of us begin to examine our lives just a little bit more carefully? Because we're told very definitely that all of us are to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.10, from we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is not the great white throne. It's a judgment seat of Christ where believers come. Why? Well, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. This is for purposes of reward. Salvation's not in question. You wouldn't be there if you weren't saved. And it's according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And Paul says on the basis of that, knowing therefore the fear or the terror of the Lord, we persuade man. Paul says, I want to keep busy because I'm going to have to turn in a report whether I'm working eight hours a day, or whether I'm giving the Lord 60 seconds out of every minute, 60 minutes in every hour, and 24 hours every day and seven days a week. Now, under law, they only gave one day, but the Lord says, I want you. And I don't care what you do, whether it's to wash dishes or dig a ditch. And someone has said, you can dig a ditch so straight and true that even God can look it through. And he's going to look it through someday, friend. Going to see how you live down here. And that's the gate Mifkad. And I can see many a battle-scarred soldier. David knew him, knew what he did. He calls him out of the ranks, and he said, I have a reward here for you. And there's going to be many an unknown Christian that'll be called out in that day that you and I don't know about. We think of the folk we hear about today. We think of the preachers, the missionaries, the officers of the church, Sunday school teachers. Now, I think they're going to get a reward, but I think also that they're probably the greatest rewards are going to go to some of these unknown saints that live for God in this day. This is a wonderful gate to come to, Mifkad. Now, we've been through ten gates. And now notice verse 32. And between the going up of the corner under the sheep gate, repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. Now, we're back at the sheep gate. Now, we know we've been all the way around the walls of Jerusalem because we're right back where we started. And friends, we begin with the cross of Christ and we stop with the cross of Christ. That's the thing that is important. <laughs> 
It's the cross of Christ. The sheep gate speaks of the cross of Christ. And I want us, as we close today, to stand here at the sheep gate. And I'd like to tell you a little story about the late Dr. Mackay, the great preacher who was holding meetings. I guess it was in London. And one night after the service, a young man came and spoke to him. And he said to him, he said, Dr. Mackay, he said, I'd like to speak to you a moment. Dr. Mackay says, well, I'm taking this train down here, goes back into London where I'm staying, and you walk down with me to the train. And on the way as they walked, the young man said to him, well, what you say about trust in Christ isn't clear to me. I've listened to you very carefully. And then Dr. Mackay went over it again as they walked down the plan of salvation. And the young man says, I'm sorry, but I cannot seem to feel that I understand savingly. doesn't seem to get through. Well, the great preacher, he heard his train coming. He said to the young man, do you have a Bible? The young man said, no, I don't. Well, he says, here's my Bible. Take it and turn to Isaiah 53, 6 and read that. When you read the first all, you bend down low and you go in right there. Then when you come out at the last all, stand up straight and you'll come out right. And so the young man took his Bible and Dr. Mackay rushed down to get on his train. The young man stood there holding the Bible, little puzzle. He moved over under a street light. He turned to Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the young man, he said, what did he say do? He says, at that first all, bend down low. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The young man says, that sure is a picture of me. And he says, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the young man stood there puzzled. Oh, he said, I'm to stand up straight and come out. And he said then, I'm to trust Christ. I see it now. All my sin was put on Jesus, and the Lord has laid on him my sin. Now I can stand up straight. He's forgiven me. So the next night, Dr. Mackay got there early, and he went up and sat on a platform, kept looking for that young man. Service started, and he hadn't come in. And that young man had his Bible. And after all, Dr. Mackay wasn't about to depart with that Bible. And so he waited. And finally, he saw the young man come in. And Dr. Mackay went down to meet him and to get his Bible. And he said, young man, did you do what I said? The lad said to him, he says, yes, I did. Well, he said, what happened? Well, he said, I did what you said. I came to that first all in Isaiah 53, 6, and it fitted me. And then I came out standing up straight because you told me to bend down at the first one. And I stood up straight and come out at the last all. And Dr. Mackay said, then what happened? The young man says, well, I know now that Jesus is my Savior, and I've trusted him. My friend, we begin at the sheep gate. And we come out at the sheep gate. And I think throughout eternity, we're going to talk about the sheep gate, where the Lord Jesus died down here, 1900 years, on Golgotha, 
the place of a skull for your sins and mine. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, my beloved. As Dr. McGee said, we began with the Sheep Gate last week, and now we end at the Sheep Gate as the clear reminder that the Christian life begins and ends in Jesus. If you'd like to know more about the forgiveness that God offers us through His Son, please visit our website at ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God? There you'll find several free digital booklets and audio messages by Dr. McGee that'll further explain the importance of the cross of Jesus and what it means for you and for me. Or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'd be happy to send you a few of those resources by mail. Our next study begins in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. So let's all take some time today to read ahead and prepare our hearts for what's in store. You'll find a copy of our reading schedule at ttb.org under the Resources tab, or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE and ask to be put on the ministry newsletter mailing list. I'm Steve Schwetz. For all of us at Through the Bible, we're thanking God that His great grace, wisdom, and mercy goes with you as you walk with Him today. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.